Okay. I am thrilled to be milling about with Judy Collins <laughs> in her home. Yes, here in we this are. beautiful home. I love that you asked me to take off my shoes. Oh, you have to. We have animals and so and people. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody ever resist taking off their shoes? Yeah, the people who come to do the con Edison, they always have a problem. Yeah. They say no way. It's a negotiation, I'll put it that way. I had no problem taking off mine, just for the record. So I have to talk about this room. I noticed you have a Hirschfeld. Yes, How did that come about? There. That's me playing Solveig, the all-suffering Solveig, to Stacy Keach's Pier Gint. That's Estelle Parsons up there. And Olympia Dukakis, who plays the weird woman in uh, Pier Gint. That was in the park in 1969 at Del the Delacorte. Yes, yes, Shakespeare the in the park. Doing that. Beautiful. And it was a great deal of fun. There's a lot of my sister's work in here, a lot of her paintings. Those are hers. Uh, okay, your sister's a painter. Yes, my sister is a painter. And that's a portrait of my cats by my friend Pia Lindstrom. Oh, so cute. Beautiful. And I see underneath the cats is you with uh, former President Clinton and oh, your yes, husband. That's right. <laughs> Beautiful. So what was it like to meet Clinton? I met him uh, at the Tribeca Film Festival the very first year, and he shook my hand. And I tell you, it was like I was the only person in the room that existed. <laughs> yeah, he has that quality. Yeah. I met him in 1991, and some friends of mine, he was still the uh, governor of Arkansas, and Letty Pogerman is a good friend of mine, and I, we see her socially quite a bit. And she called me one day and she said, you're going to be at Chautauqua, which is up New York State. It's a, a wonderful theater and a place where the Chautauquas around the country were places where people like Mark Twain and etc. would go to speak, and they, are, they have all kinds of conferences. And she said, the governor of Arkansas is coming. I didn't have a clue who he was. She said, I want you to meet him. I said, well, that's very nice. So I did the show, and he came back with them, and Hillary, and uh, she kept poking me and saying, now this is Governor Clinton and the First Lady, Hillary. Uh, they are the governor and the First Lady of Arkansas, and uh, he's going to be the president. She kept saying that to me, and I said, oh, oh very nice. <laughs> and then back to Letty. So Letty, when can we have dinner? So, of course, Bill Clinton wanted to party and so on. But he said, you're better than ever. And I said, thank you. It was clear that I was not going to go out and party. <laughs> so, you know, I had met them. That was fine. That was very nice. And then, of course, I guess I kind of registered as the year went on that he was running for president. One of my brothers called me up and said, I hope you have a good-looking dress. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, Clinton says if he's, if he's elected president, He's going to have a parade and have you sing at his, at his inaugural. And I said, oh, that's very nice. Don't believe anything you hear until it happens. Wow. And I saw it in the, in the, I guess it was in the Rolling Stone, a big piece about not only that he would have me sing at his inaugural, but that they said to him, if you had a fire down there at your uh, mansion, what, do you have a record collection? He said, oh, yes. And they said, well, which one would you save? And he said, I'd save Judy Collins's." Uh. And then, in the magazine, he began to name all the songs on this album of mine. 
So then I was starting to think this might be real. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got the call. We went down. I sang at the inaugural what did you uh, sing? concert. I don't know who remembers what what you sang when you're with the president, the new president of the United yeah, States. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I probably sang both sides now. And then I think I don't know what I sang at the ball that night. After anyway, it was very exciting. And then my husband Lewis and I. We walked in and out of the White House like we lived there for eight years, in and out, into uh, the parties, out to the lawn, into uh, the celebrations, up to the Lincoln bedroom to sleep. In, uh, into the no, you the slept in the Lincoln bedroom by myself. Oh, what? <laughs> and on in the morning came the knock on my door. Want to go for a run? Oh my gosh. So we went out and ran. With Clinton. With, and with the Secret Service. Wow. We ran all around. The, and then we went up the stairs of the Lincoln Monument, and he read out loud to me the second inaugural, which is one of the most beautiful pieces of writing by Lincoln. I have to ask you, was the bed comfortable in the Lincoln bedroom? In those days, I would always, I traveled with my coffee beans, my coffee grinder, my coffee maker. So I get up to the Lincoln bedroom. It's late because I had had a show with the women of the Congress. That must have been surreal. It was totally surreal. Yeah. And then I went into the bathroom to set up my coffee maker and my coffee beans and my grinder. <laughs> In the bathroom. <laughs> and I got it all set up and I got it all ground. And then for some reason I turned around and the whole thing flew across the floor. No. All the coffee beans oh. everywhere. You know, in the crevices, crevices, in this... You will never be invited back to the Lincoln bedroom again. (laughs) I got down on my knees and cleaned that sucker up. (laughs) And then, the next morning, I had some of the best coffee that's ever made. They have a fabulous... So who needed the beans? Who needed the beans? (laughs) I don't think you have a story, Judy, that could top that one in the music business ever. Wow. And the next time we were there, I mean, literally, we walked in and out. Oh. And the steak dinner that I did, I was at a lot of things. Like, my, now my husband designed the Curry War Memorial on the mall in Washington, D.C. So the wow. dedication was in 1995, and there was a huge tattoo, they call it. it. They bring it out only for heads of foreign states, and not very rarely. So we had the, all the ceremonies, and the wall was being uh, dedicated, and we were out there for that. And then I wrote a song called Walls around the, the, about the wall. Then for the state dinner that I sang at, the state dinner was, uh, and there were many things. I actually sang that song that I wrote for the wall, and for the president, and for my husband. At in front of the White House the next morning because they were having a party for the staff. Well, the staff of the White House is about 1,600 people. Yeah. And they're all in front it's of like, the It's like performing at a concert. Exactly. So <laughs> I sang the song a cappella. Anyway, he has never, ever forgotten to send me a birthday greeting. Uh. He's always, when I see him, he's always wonderful, and so is she. And, uh, you know, they, we were friends. If I wasn't around, and of course I was touring all the time as usual, so she would call Lewis and say, you want to come to a party at the White House? And he'd say, great, I'll call Donna. Donna Shalala would be his date at these <laughs> events. 
Because she was head of health and human services. Wow. For, the, for all the whole eight years. Fabulous. Let's talk about music <laughs> oh, now. Oh, night, more. Okay. Night, we slept in the guest quarters. Ah, not as nice as the Lincoln bedroom. No. And uh, we got settled in the rooms. We, I think we'd taken our luggage up before, and we got settled. We were sitting, just us, everybody else had gone to sleep, and the president walks in and sits down, and the three of us are sort of cuddled around this little space with these little chairs, and he's drinking a Coke. We're sitting there, and he has to take this call from, from Sandy Berger, and he accidentally spills his Coke all over the floor. Mm -hmm. So Lewis gets up and goes to the little room where there's a wash basin and so on, and grabs some cloth and comes over and Bill says, no, 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 and takes the rag out of his hand, and the President of the United States is down on the floor cleaning. I guess cleaning is a big deal there. I mean, I cleaned the bathroom in the White wow. House. The President is cleaning the floor in Very the tidy. family quarters. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Oh, my. Okay, let's talk about music now. Uh, of course, you have an album with Stephen Stills that you put out last year, was it? Yes. Yeah. Um, when you got together again after all those years, is there any kind of weirdness? I was very nervous about yeah. going out, but we had met, of course, and he had, had, we'd had this affair, which was very hot and short. He's much younger, right? He's seven years younger than I am. Oh, that's not that bad. During, sometimes he's six, sometimes seven, depending <laughs> on where the birthdays fall. <laughs> I had no idea how young he was. Yeah. Anyway, he's, you know, he was a doll. He was so cute. So we had an affair, of course, and then we broke up. Very rocky, and especially rocky because he'd written Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, and it was playing on the radio all the time. still mad for you. I well, do. Well, I find out, of course I knew, we stayed friends. Yeah. That's what happened to us. We kept track of each other. I went to, to uh, Florida to spend some time down there with him when I'd broken up with one of my bows. And uh, we would call and always kind of check in. I'd see him in New York. He liked to stay at, he likes to stay at the car lot and we'd have coffee and so on. So we never lost touch with each other. Mm -hmm. And I knew that he had written at least five or six other songs about me, mm -hmm. but I was never going to tell him that. CSNN and Richie Havens and we were the big show at the AARP probably about six years ago. And afterwards, Stephen and I sort of looked at each other and said, what is it? Are we chopped liver or something? Why, don't, why aren't we going out? So he came up, my studio used to be in my studio, and so we came up and recorded an old um, Tom Paxton song, and it went very well. You know, that was what I was trying to figure out. Was this guy really getting himself together? Because there were years where I wouldn't have gone near this project. 
But people change. They get their act together. They rethink what they're doing. They look at all the things around them and they say, Oh, Judy, that's who I want to sing with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we started emailing each other bunches of songs, what we would sing, where we would do it, how it would look, you know, what kind of an album. We had really, I think, had the initial workup to working together that was necessary. I mean, yes, you can go out with somebody and boom, you can do... But we had a life history. We, we, had, a, yeah. we had a sociological history. We're part... Us together are part of the folk boom, really. Yeah. So I knew that it was going to be fine. And we have so much to say to each other. So our talk between is very fresh. I yeah, just, the banter between the songs. Yeah, it's just a whole lot of fun. And then I get to stand there for two hours and listen to one of the greatest guitar players in the world. Unbelievable. So what um, of, off of this album, what are some of the songs that were most memorable to record together? Well, I would think uh, Everybody Knows, which is the Leonard Cohen song, which we hadn't done together, but I brought it to him and I said, I think we really have to do this. Mm. We have to honor Leonard and we have to say what's going on here in the in this world. And the amazing thing is that Leonard Cohen in 1986 knew what was going to happen. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. And so that was very strong on our list. Everybody knows that the Everybody knows with their fingers crossed Everybody knows that the war is over Everybody knows that the good guys lost Everybody knows that the fight was fixed The poor stay poor and the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows And of course, who knows where the time goes? which was a song we had recorded together in 1968. And that was very strong for us both. Of course, I knew he had to do, we had to do Bluebird. Mm -hmm. And it is a smashing version, I'll tell you, it really is. And we had to end the show with Sweet Judy Blue Eyes. Of course. People, yeah. people would be like really angry, I think. Yeah, I think they would leave in <laughs> droves <laughs> and go to hear David Crosby somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> not so, the same but okay, same, okay. <laughs> yeah so so we uh then poked around at both of our now we're doing uh, from the album we're doing most of the things that are on the album although we dropped judy why i don't know we just changed things up over the I, I assume that's about you as well yes and i didn't know that that was a song that was written for me until Just Roll Tape came out. That is the uh, miraculous CD of something that he recorded in a studio here in New York in 1968. We were putting some, re some touches on changes on who knows where the time goes, so we had to come to a studio here. And we would had about a month off since finishing uh, who Knows Where the Time Goes, the album that I was doing for Lecter, that he was playing on. And we came here, and in that month, he had gone to Florida, David had bought a boat, the three of them were now singing together. They hadn't recorded, and he wrote dozens of songs down there. And he said to me, could, could I just borrow the studio here? You go home, I had to go home. And he made this big tape, and 
it got lost for 40 years. It oh was my gosh. Somehow John, who was a wild man in those days, neglected to send it over to Warner Atlantic. 40 years, it was gone. Unbelievable. And somebody picked it up and brought it out here to the East Coast and kept it in a very appropriate place. Downstairs, no dampness, all locked up in a very... And he, he finally located uh, Graham and got it to Graham and said, mm-hmm. I think I have something that belongs to your partner. And uh, of course they sent it over to the record company. They may immediately pressed it, as was, and they didn't have to touch it. And Wooden Ships is on it, Helplessly oh. Hoping is on it. Oh my gosh. Sweet Judy Blue Eyes is on it. Uh, you Don't Have to Cry. All the classics. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it was a mystery. And of course he kept a little, little, real, a little cassette. Mm-hmm. But on that Just Roll Tape album, when it came out about 10 years ago, they finally got it out, and it was Judy, the song Judy. I said, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was busy writing other things. I knew those other songs were for me, but I couldn't prove it. Now he talks about it all the time. must be unbelievable to you and the most romantic gesture on the planet for somebody yeah. to write songs for. Oh, oh, it was very touching. Yeah. I broke his heart, but he used it. Mm. He used it the way you're supposed to mm-hmm. use a broken heart. He, he let it come out in, in creativity. And it shows, um, you know, just how... I mean, we were very involved with each other. We were very... And we were very much attuned on the musical end of things. I mean, I don't remember anything about the sex, frankly, but don't tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was drinking, so why would I? But boy, do I remember about the music. And yeah. I always have, and I always do, and I always will. And yes, he's a very sexy man, so he's a very funny man, and he's, he's sweet, and he's, you know, he's been banged up by having to travel all over the world. Um, I wouldn't. Fi- I wouldn't travel on a bus if he killed me first. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, no. It's not fun. It's not I glamorous. Fly. And he gets, you know, he really gets shaked up. And but he, he it doesn't matter. He comes on the stage. He's a thousand percent. And I tell him it's like being on the road with him is like being in couples therapy. Finally, at last. <laughs> And we don't even have to pay for it. Right. Had you done that, had you done couples therapy years ago, you no. think it would have mattered? Oh, oh, I don't think we would. Well, I was in therapy. Okay. And he hated therapy and he hated New York and I was in both. Mm-hmm. That's, that's part of what we split up over. Oh, uh, really? Because of the traveling back and forth? Well, because he really didn't like therapists and he really didn't like New York and he wasn't about to come here and I was not about to stay in L.A. It's like, it's very dreamy, you know, it's very kind of, otherworldly I bet yeah. and very romantic because it's about the music we've we've discovered that we have a very special thing yes all together but also in unison singing it's very very hard to find anybody you can sing unison with where it sounds magical when you guys were all together in Laurel Canyon, that must have been something. And I wasn't. You weren't there. I was at Joni Mitchell's home 
in the canyon. When Graham lived with her, or no, no, she was on her own, and I was up there in the in uh, about February or March of 1969, doing pictures for the Saturday Evening Post. I was at Joni's house, and we sat in her tree house, and Roland Sherman took took pictures of us, and we went into her house, and we sat around. She and I were very cozy for a couple of years mm -hmm. after I recorded Both Sides Now. But people ask me how I find my songs, and actually they find me. And in the case of Joni, in 1967, I had already been discovered by Leonard. He'd found me and brought, brought me his songs. And then one night I was sound asleep in the spring of 67, drunk, I'm sure, and I got a call in the middle of the night from Al Cooper. Mm. Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Yes, I've interviewed Al Cooper. He's a doll. Yeah. He's a charmer. And yeah. he and I were very good friends. So good that he had my phone number by heart in his mind. Wow. So he followed Joni home from a club one night, and about three in the morning I got this call. And I didn't know who... I mean, I, I had heard Circle Game. I'd heard Tom Rush sing Circle Game. That's all I knew about Joni. And so he said, I have a surprise for you. Did I wake you up? I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that you have some reason for calling me or you wouldn't have called me and he said yeah I have a reason and then he put Joni Mitchell on the phone and she sang me both sides now over the telephone and I said I'll be right over oh <laughs> man And then, so how did she feel that it was a little bit more successful when you recorded she it? She felt. Yeah, yeah. I know she does and did. Mm. And all I can say is, look, I mean, I'm kneeling down and kissing you and sending you flowers all the time because what a huge break for both of us. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was huge. Yeah. How is she doing, by the way? I think she's doing better and better. Good. I hear from our mutual friends. I've seen her last year, I went to California. Clive Davis called me up and said, would you come to California and sing for my Grammys party? This is a big party that he has every year. And sing both sides now because jo I can get Joni out of the house and she'll come. She'll be in a wheelchair, but she's going to be there. So if I could put you two together and have you sing. So I did that. Mm. And I'm always sending her cards and letters yeah. and so on. Oh, that's nice. And she's uh, doing much better. And I can see from what's going on with Joni, slowly but surely, it's coming back. Beautiful. You are amazing. <laughs> You're, look, I'm, I'm sitting in front of this woman. And I, wish you, I wish people could see how gorgeous you are. Oh, thank you. But you, you talk about, you wrote a book about compulsive overeating. You talk about your alcoholism. Yes, ma'am. How did you conquer that? Well, I didn't conquer it. It was conquered for me because I was intervened in 1978. Uh, I was just, I mean, I was dying. I had three years where I was coming off the rails. I, had, I, was, I was dying. I couldn't sing. Mm -hmm. 
I couldn't work. I hadn't worked already for two or three years. I had to cancel everything in 77. It was creeping up on me slowly but surely. And you know, everything looked good on the surface. I had another top 10 hit with uh, Sin and the Clowns. Had I been able to work, but nobody was gonna hire me. Nobody would touch me. Isn't it queer? Losing my timing this late in my career. But where are the clouds? There ought to be clouds. Well, maybe. People knew, people... Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, the promoters knew. I mean, you can't you can't hide from your promoters. They are your bread and butter. They are your lifeline to your audience. And right. I had dumped them all. I had screwed them all. I would go out, the early, early 70s, I'd go out, I'd sing one... I'd be out with a band. I'd sing one show, maybe in San Diego or something. The next day I couldn't sing. I'd have to sit around for 10 days, two weeks, take a lot of prednisone, and drink. And that's what was killing me. And then I had the surgery on my throat. It was a hemangioma, like the, like the blood vessels that burst on your face, only mine was on the, on the vibrating cord. I had the same surgery that Julie Andrews had. Wow. And it was early for this surgery, very early. And the doctor said, well, you could not have this. Or you could have it. If you have it, you have a chance. He said, it's new. I don't know if it'll do the trick or not. But if you don't, you're never going to sing again. Hmm. Of course, you said, sign me up. I did. Yeah. You know, the nurses came in the night before and they said, what is that I smell? I said, well, some friends came over and had a drink. I, was, I had a quart of vodka in the little table. I was drunk as a Skunk. In the hospital. In the night before the surgery. Oh my god! I could have died. Oh my god! I didn't know. I mean, I didn't. You think I told my doctor that I was drunk as a skunk before he put all those drugs in me in the morning at five thirty or six o'clock? He could have sued me. <laughs> I always tried to keep up physically. I tried to exercise every day. I tried. To, I went to a dance class. In my dance class was a woman who was married to a very famous New York drunk. I said. I used to see him falling out of bars, you know, blood spattering all over the place. And I said to her, what happened to uh, your husband? I don't see him around. She said he quit drinking. Hmm. I thought, oh, no. Another <laughs> one bites the dust, you know. She said, you want to talk to him? He'd be happy to talk to you. So I said, okay. And I called him. She gave me his number. And I called him. He was off in Arizona doing a movie. So he wasn't there, but he called me back which impressed the hell out of me. An actor who will return your phone call? I had lived with actors. I know better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Actors and musicians, and forget about forget it. About it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't suit the profile because I am so frigging OCD about everything I return. Every call, I, you know. Mm -hmm. I help manage myself because I want to know what's going on. Anyway, he called me back and we talked for about 45 minutes and I had this big, I, you know, by that time I couldn't read my handwriting. If it was past 3 o'clock, it was gone over. 
he told me exactly what to do. Here's the doctor you have to go to see. These are the AA meetings you have to go to, period. You must do these things because you're dying. He said, I know because I've seen you around. And I was very in with the acting crowd here because I'm a New Yorker and I also lived with Stacy for a while. And and I was always part of the scene. You know, I was drunk three times a day. Stacy Keach? Keach. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I... Clearly, anybody who saw me would know, especially mm. if they already had the problem and knew what to do about it. And I went to chit-chat down in uh, Wernersville, Pennsylvania. Wonderful, wonderful place. And got sober. Wow. So how many years sober are you now? Forty. Beautiful. Almost as long as you're married. Yes. And I met him okay. four days before I went to treatment. Mr. Nelson. See that? Wow. And I can tell you he's a keeper. Oh, he's so <laughs> handsome. He, sh- he shook my hands. I was Isn't like, he? hello. <laughs> he's very cute. And yeah. He's a wonderful man. Wonderful man. Brilliant man. And it was very fortunate because I couldn't work. Mm. All I could do was go to meetings. And all I did was go to meetings. Yeah, you have to. And date my husband-to-be, with whom I started living immediately. We, when we got back together, he'd called me and I'd called him. And it took me a while when I got back, but then by July, 78, we had our first date. And we have, on our rings, we have the day we met, which was April 16th of 1978. And so I always think it was some kind of message from whoever takes care of those things. You know, when I was in rehab, I'm on the phone making deals with my producer. Koppelman and I are on the phone. I'm busy, busy working. I know that that's not a good idea when you're in treatment, but I was... You know, all about the career. Yeah, I had getting to, getting all your ducks I in a row. I had to pull it out of the toilet, and I had to do it now. So what do you do for fun now, Judy? <laughs> I have the best life. I am a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I will go to meetings for as long as I live, and I'm in many different aspects of the 12-step programs. You know, if people had any understanding at all about the fact that they can get the kind of help they need from a 12-step program, no matter what their issue is, well, the rooms would be full all the time. There, quite frankly, there are no other answers. No. We may look to Big Pharma, but they're killing us, and they don't know what addiction is or how to treat it. I'm sorry to say that, but it's the truth. The free program in your local church, whatever it is, food, sex, drunks, Drinking, pill taking, I don't care what it is, they'll help you. And also I think it's the people, you know, supporting each other, like having your sponsor and having it's that magic. person. The yeah. whole thing is magic. There's nothing like it anywhere. What haven't you done? I'm involved in another book. I have worked on a book about my father for years. It's called The Man Who Saw Everything. So I've been working on that for years. I've been working on on and off since I made the movie about Dr. Brico, which was nominated for an Academy Award in 75, I have been trying every which way I can think of to write a book about her life. Now, uh, there's another movie out about her life called The Conductor. Mm -hmm. And it's made by a couple of Dutch filmmakers who happened to see my my film about Brico. I'll give you my film too, Mm -hmm. if you like it. I'm going to go home with goodies. Yeah, you're going to go with swag. I'll even give you a bag to carry it in. Do you know what swag stands for? No. Stuff we all get. Oh, that's nice. I 
like it because it's easy. It is. It's such a great word. You know, I've written 10 books now, and I think that I always have to have a book going. I have to always be writing songs, which I do. By the way, one, two of my new songs, well, one of them is on the record, uh, River of Gold is on the Stephen Stills record. Taking all the magic from the meadows, piled them up and threw away the green. Rough rock and stone and clear cut, now they've gone ahead and damned the street. Forever I will think of the old days, the river that was made of gold. In winter and spring and summer, my memories will never grow. And I then am performing my one of my latest songs called Dreamers, which is about the DACA situation. And about oh, you do that acapella. It's a beautiful acapella. song. Thank you. Yeah. I think the secret, if there is one, is that I write every day. Then all kinds of other things are coming up. Have you ever thought about a musical about your life on Broadway? It's an endlessly puzzling but gratifying search mm. and effort. And yes, it'll happen when I don't know exactly how, I don't know, but it will, it will come out because it's being looked at, worked on, talked about, I've done my own work on it. That's something to be thought about and worked on. Um, we have some ideas about the romance of Stills Collins. That, that could do well, that could be put together very easily, I think. Oh yeah, you read my mind, yeah. I thought. I said to my husband, who's, I have to plug him right now. Oh, good. He's a Tony Award-winning producer. Oh, how wonderful. Yes, and uh, we've, we've talked about it. We said, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a fabulous show? It's always possible, I yeah. think. It doesn't have to, we don't have to be in it. No, it's the story. And the story, I mean, I've written Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, the book, so it's all in there. And uh, so, who knows? I, I, I don't. Mm. I don't think about it. I work, work on my own projects, my own writing, just stay healthy so I can do all this touring, and... Uh, one day at a time, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Judy, I am so thrilled to meet you and have this time with you. It's been an utmost pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me. And now I know what a podcast is. Yay! <laughs> Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.